Hey team, this is the Innovation Inc. podcast, and I'm your host, Liz Brown Evans. We sit down with our favorite entrepreneurs and nerd out on anything that involves innovation in the corporate space. So if you work for a corporate company, but you think like an entrepreneur, we're your people, and we're really excited you're here. Before we jump in, a huge thank you to our sponsor and Inc. 5000 company, APAC Software. They create powerful custom software, websites, and mobile apps that take your business's innovative ideas and turn them into realities. Reach out today to get a quote at apacsoftware.com. All right, everyone, let's get to it. Hey everyone, I am Liz Brown Evans. You've heard me on some previous Awesome Inc. episodes alongside Garrett, and I am excited to announce that we are officially launching our own corporate innovation series under the Awesome Inc. podcast. So another way of putting it, Garrett finally gave me permission to jump out and fly out of the nest on my own, and I am eternally grateful for his mentorship. Um, So we're calling it the Innovation Incubated Series, which is going to focus on really the intersection of corporate innovation, strategy, and startups. Innovation Incubated is a new name, so you're not crazy. It is the new name of our corporate innovation consulting company at Awesome Inc., which we've been calling Venture Labs. We work with companies to make strategic, innovative decisions using expertise of 12 years of working with startups and entrepreneurs. I'm not going to go into all of the rebrand details and bore you to death, but you can learn more about what what we do and sign up for our newsletter at innovationincubated.com. Today we have with us Brad Barron. He is a research director and professor professor, of chemical engineering at the James B. Beam Institute. Say that five times fast. Uh, We reached out to him, myself and Mike Hilton, uh, my other partner at Innovation Incubated, to get some help and context for um, an innovation project that we're working on with the Cabinet for Energy and Environment in the bourbon industry. It's a sneak peek at a project. We'll tell you more about it later. But we called Brad and said, hey, help us understand what the heck is going on in the bourbon industry. So we wanted to bring him on just to talk about Kentucky's favorite topic, bourbon, and how that relates to innovation. So Brad, I'll let you take it. Tell us a little bit about yourself and we'll get into it. Yeah, thanks, Liz. Um, so really uh, what we're really trying to focus on really today is is innovation in the, the research space in bourbon. And um, the, the broader context of what we do at the University of Kentucky at the James B. Beam Institute is really trying to find ways of elevating the, the bourbon industry and also the state of Kentucky through research, education, and, and community outreach. So when we think about how the James B. Beam Institute came about, it really... It really started out as a partnership um, between uh, Beam Centauri um, and the University of Kentucky. And really what we're trying to grow that towards and what we're having a lot of success growing that towards is really just a broader partnership between all distilleries in the uh, in the state of Kentucky and also um, with universities in the state of Kentucky and really figuring out how this collaboration and cooperation can ultimately elevate bourbon and the, the state industry. Um, so we've focused largely on on three areas. So, so we've done a lot of work in research. So we've got research projects at the University of Kentucky um, with with distilleries from all across the state. And these are both um, individual research um, agreements where we have a lot of things that are confidential, but we also have a lot of research projects that are collaborative and cooperative and more for the community benefit. Um, and then Another aspect of what we do is is really looking at the education um, in the bourbon space and really trying to educate both the students at the University of Kentucky and also educate distillers throughout the the community. Um, And the primary vehicle we have for educating students at the University of Kentucky in the distilled spirit space is our certificate in distillation wine uh, and brewing studies. Um, It's run largely out of the College of Agriculture, but it's a collaboration across the entire campus um, where we can have students 
students who are, say, chemical engineers who really understand the technical aspects of the distilling side, but they go in and take this certificate and they really get exposed to the other aspects. Um, so if you think about the people who are actually in the distillery making the juice and actually putting that into barrels, that's only a small fragment of what's actually happening in the industry abroad. You have uh, a ton of professionals working in marketing. Um, you've got the farmers really trying to deliver top-notch grains that delivers top-notch spirits. Um, and you just have to look at that entire ecosystem, chemistry, biology, everything across that. And we, we offer classes all across the university um, to really try to provide that breadth of experience for, for students from all across campus. So we've got that certificate program and then we also do a lot of education programs for the industry at large so we do a, an industry conference every year where we try to introduce new research and innovation that's happened over the last 12 months um, and and we host that each year in, in March um, and then we're also looking at other opportunities to interact more directly with distillers and, and look at their education needs and the final is environmental and, and social um, responsibility and community responsibility and looking for opportunities to to impact all the way across um, really making sure that we're taking care of the people in the state. Um, and that's that's an area that the, the distillers are very passionate about. And that's an area that we've been really excited about at the University of Kentucky as well. It fits really, really well into the University of Kentucky mission of really trying to support the state. So really working with distillers who have a, a common vision in that space has been has been really productive. So so that's really a big broad view of what we do at the, the James B. Beam Institute at the University of Kentucky. Um, and then the the exciting news that we have sort of coming out of uh, the the institute is the establishment of the new institute building. So we're we're building um, based on a, a philanthropic gift from the um, James B. Beam uh, Distilling Company and also Beam Suntory. Um, we're we're establishing a new institute center. Um, it's a new building that's going to be going in right here in in Lexington. So it's going to be right on Nicholasville and Cooper right next to the football stadium. This is awesome. Yeah. I'm so excited. We're going to have this, this really nice new facility. That's really going to be the center of education and, and research for, for the distilling space. So it's going to have classrooms, um, analytical labs. We're going to have an entire fully functioning distillery there ready to, um, allow our students and also um, distillers from the community to come in and train. Um, and then also on that space, we're really looking forward to doing a lot of um, research and innovation in the distillery space as well. So so that's sort of this nice sort of compact set for the distillery processing. And then we also had a follow on gift um, about a year ago from the Boswell family and Independence Dave company who um, gave us um, the money to set up a maturation house. So we're also going to have a 600 barrel um, aging facility right there on that same footprint. So really what we're looking at is and, and groundbreaking and, and we should have shovels in the ground in a, a month or two here. Um, we're really looking at a large distillery um, where we can run continuous operation, batch wise operation, and then we can fill the barrels. We can roll them across the street or roll them across the parking lot and and then load them into this this nice maturation facility where we have control of the entire process. So if our students or our researchers want to tweak one part of the process, it's much easier for us to do that here at the University of Kentucky and not worry about messing with somebody else's product. Um, so so that's that's a big, exciting step. It's going to be the first facility like it in the, the nation for sure, where we think probably the world. Um, and it's going to be this great opportunity to really bring innovation and research sort of home back to Kentucky and focus it around one of our signature products here in Kentucky. So so that's a sort of a broad overview of a lot of the, the big picture items we've been working on uh, at the University of Kentucky. So. You guys do so much, I think, is what is interesting to me, which I think that's 
often the case at a university, right? There's the educational aspect. There's the research aspect. There's the yeah, absolutely giving back aspect. Um, I'm personally excited to go tailgating and bring friends from out of town and say, do you see that over there? Yeah. yeah That's our own distillery. It's it's definitely come up that we're right in the middle of tailgate central and we're going to have these big <laughs> glass windows where people can look in and see the process oh, running. Yeah. We're, we're pretty excited about that because it's going to be a, another great opportunity to engage with the community and really show basically how the, the spirit works and, and keep it all yeah keep it keep that that education and community outreach going yeah. on, on a regular basis so it's it's going to be a great vehicle for us yeah. yeah well what two things i'm excited about one is i what that does for the brand of kentucky we are the home of bourbon i think we're often called the horse capital of the world which we fight pretty hard to earn but people know us for bourbon as well and i think that's just another stamp in the book to say this is where not only the history of it is happening but more importantly the future of it is happening which is kind of what we're here to talk about today and i i think what's so interesting to me is it's such an old industry and business it has been around probably since the dawn of humans <laughs> we've been making yeah. alcoholic <laughs> beverages but um certainly bourbon is very much an american spirit and yeah. certainly a Kentucky spirit. So what what does innovation, that can mean a lot of different things, but how is that unique in the bourbon industry? Kind of just give us broad scopes of what's going on in the industry for innovation. Yeah. So bourbon's kind of a fascinating space for innovation because there's so many rules um, around what, what makes a bourbon a bourbon. And then you also have regulations associated with what you can do legally and, and, um, and still keep it in the, the bourbon space. And then you also have Bourbon has an incredible connection to the history and the heritage of, of really what's going on with this particular product, more so than you might imagine for an automobile. You could you could change almost everything about an automobile and people would as long as it still got the job done and it looks cool, people would go for it. Yep. But but bourbon, I think there's there's that connection to the past because hmm. we've got these aged spirits that are sitting around for a long time. We've got I mean, when we're drinking 20, 23 year old products, we're looking at things that were made by our parents um, and, and looking at that sort of connection to the past is a real important part of, of bourbon. So when distillers look to innovate, there's a real awareness of really what makes bourbon unique and interesting. And and there's some distillers who are absolutely um, willing to come in and, and mess with every part of the process as long as it legally can still be called bourbon. They're, they're, they're all in. Um, and there's other distillers who really want to stick more to the traditional approaches. Um, and there's, there's even new distillers looking at trying to go back to more traditional grains, not the, mm. um, not the, the more modern grains that we're looking here. So it's, it, it varies a lot across the industry. And that's, that's something that we have to sort of take in mind as we go talk to each individual distiller, even even the major companies, their their approach to innovation changes um, pretty dramatically about what parts of the process you can touch and what part of the process are, are absolutely sacred. And um, I know it keeps it it keeps it interesting for sure in terms yeah. of, yeah, popping in every every new company has its own sort of ecosystem of how they they approach innovation. So it's it's been a lot of fun to, to really get to know all the distillers and, and how they approach these these new ideas. Right. Well, and I think that's the case innovation across the board, right? There's not one way to do it. It can happen on a marketing branding perspective. It can happen in how a product is made. Um, I think one of my favorite stories of a, of a distillery I'm following right now is what Wilderness Trail has done from their perspective where I feel like they have come in and found niches of needs yeah, that absolutely. aren't just limited to bourbon itself. Um, and I think that's becoming more and more the case, right? People coming in 
and saying, this has been happening for a long time, but we will age your barrels. But now coming in and saying, we'll do this other function that's hard to do. We'll come in and do that for you. Yeah, um, yeah. And so I, and there are, you know, brands popping up all over the place, but I think I'm excited to see it, companies finding different ways to add to innovation in the industry. Yeah. I think, I think Wilderness Trail is an excellent example because, um, Pat and Shane, the, the two co-owners down there, have been working in the bourbon space and the fuel ethanol space for a really long time. They they know their stuff. So it's it's not the case of sort of you've got more or less outsiders coming in and, and trying to like throw the table and try to right. try to change everything up all, all at once. They they really have yeah put the technology, put the process through its paces. They have a good understanding of the process and then they know what areas there are for 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 meaningful change. Um, and they've, they've been real, real, that, that facility and also, um, the, the two owners as well have been real drivers for innovation across the industry. And I think, um, yeah, oftentimes uh, when we're sitting in KDA meetings where we're talking about what research opportunities there are, there, there are a lot of questions that sort of go their way just because they've thought a lot about these things. So they've been, they've been great partners for us. Um, Mm -hmm. Educationally, we bring both Pat and Shane into our classrooms on a mm-hmm. a, a really regular basis. I, I hope they don't think it's too frequently, but um, but we, <laughs> shout, we shout out Pat and yeah, Shane. <laughs> we we bring them we bring them in pretty regularly. And and um, just recently, Pat um, joined the the faculty as an adjunct um, in oh, the I believe it was in the Department of Horticulture, but it was on the the College of Ag over mm-hmm. in at the University of Kentucky. Because I mean, he's got he's got all, all the formal training. Um, he's he spends a lot of time and passion and. And they do a lot of work in the fermentation space. And it's been, um, yeah, they've been really good technical resources. And and having that expertise and that that deep understanding is really sort of the foundation for innovation. It's, mm-hmm. yeah. And that's and that's something that I think is important to, to not lose sight of. Because particularly with a product that, like bourbon, is so complex and has that connection to the history, you can't you can't just go absolutely crazy when you, when you come in on that. So it's been a, yeah, they, they've been a fun group to work with for sure. So I I would love to dive into some of the trends, challenges, solutions that we're seeing, which that's, it sounds like what you do every day is walk in and say, what are the headaches? What are the problems? And that, that's what I'd love for all of us to learn a little bit more about. I think everyone loves to talk about the taste and your favorite ones. And my husband, he'll kill me for saying this, but one of his favorite part-time hobbies is like bourbon hunting. He used to travel around the country a lot for his job. And so he'll go to these remote gas stations and just Mm -hmm. see what they have behind the counter. Um, That's not what we're here to talk about today. (laughs) So what, what is the landscape of what you guys are seeing as far as challenges and trends? Yeah. So I think number one on the list, um, it doesn't matter what distillery you talk to or where in the state you're talking to them. Um, in that conversation of where are your pressure points, what are the what are the needs that you see both for your distillery and also for the community? It's really um, revolving around co-products and in particular the the grains that are coming off the backside of the still. Um, these have been beneficial for a long time in terms of working into cattle feed. Um, but when one trend we're seeing is a lot of distilleries are popping up in very small localized areas and there may not be the the critical mass of, of cattle to actually take that those those grains off of them and then it gets a little complicated logistically about what you do with that so um this has been a concern historically um but even more recently there's there's been some awareness that the number of distillers popping up in kentucky is is rapidly increasing and if you look at things like dairy cattle beef cattle kentucky has a really strong um dairy beef cattle industry 
but the the numbers of, of cattle in the state have been declining. So if you look at those two trends, they're they're opposing, and and that's starting to um, raise, raise a red flag of you know what things can we do to make sure that that we're able to responsibly reuse these grains and really make the most out of these co-products because. For bourbon in particular, you've got a product coming off that's that's food safe, that um, could potentially be used in a human food. And um, traditionally, it's just sort of fed to cattle. Like what what opportunities are we missing in this space um, to really start diversifying the the places we're sending these spent grains and try to figure out the best way of of handling that? So I think spent grains has been an area that everybody is really interested in. And then there's also been a lot of innovation in that space. Um, um, we were just talking about Wilderness Trail. Um, they're also piloting a, a new innovation, innovative system in terms of really trying to get the water content down of these spent grains. Usually when it comes off the backside of a still, um, the, it, it comes out as a stream that's about 90 to 95 percent water. And then you've got these grains sort of flowing with it. Um, if you're trucking water around the state, it's it's going to cost you a lot of money. But if you're only trucking around that that grain, it's it's a lot less expensive to actually just move from point A to point B. So they've been working with um, Digested Organics um, to try to come up with this multi-stage filtration system where they can take some of the water off these grains and make it cheaper to truck around and cheaper to truck long distances so they can start reaching um, cattlemen and farmers that are that are further away from from their Danville site. And the the other added bonus is their system is is unique in that rather than cooking off the moisture and sort of releasing it as steam, um, they have a system where they can actually reclaim and clean up that water, where that water now is sort of returned to their distillery ecosystem. They can either use it in their boilers, they could put it in their ponds and, and not really have any environmental concerns over it. So so they actually that innovation hits both the spent grains issue and also water management on a distillery, which is often overlooked. But water management on a distillery is a, a, a big deal. Um, so but there's there's a lot of um, activity in the, the spent grain space. And I think it really comes from um, the op the opportunity and the the needs that exist and and looking forward and seeing those those opportunities as well. So um, yeah, I, I will say yeah, if, if people are out there thinking about new ideas, if if you're looking for spent grains and, and looking for things to try out, um, please reach out and contact us because I think there's there's really good opportunities for trying to get out there and trying to develop new concepts. And I know that was I mean part of the reason that we we first started talking not too long ago is uh, around the really the the pitch competition that you're developing around yes yeah, spent grains solutions um yeah but and i'm excited to yeah see that move forward and and learn more um about how that's going to work out we are as well we yeah we're really excited to work with both the cabinet for economic development and cabinet for energy environment and it excites me to see the state being a part of this as well obviously i think it's a strong felt need it sounds like for the distilling industry um for those i have a maybe ignorant question for those listening in the audience who aren't as familiar with distillers grains as you are that some of the problem as i understand is because there's a bit of a, a clock right from when the the grains come off absolutely between when it's an okay thing to be used and then when it's almost a, a biological hazard is that too intensive a way of saying it yeah, it's um, I, I think 
biological hazard if if mistreated um, you you have problems um, that's that's absolutely true um, so you can imagine it um, almost the same as leaving oatmeal out on your counter um, if if you eat your food on your counter relatively quickly it's going to be fine if you leave it around for 10 days you may not want to eat it um, right. so that's that's exactly what we're um, what we're worried about with that clock there there reaches a time where if you're leaving wet stuff just sort of sitting around it starts to grow stuff and then you don't want to feed it to your cattle and then you've got to figure out what to do with it. Um, and that and that is what we're trying to avoid. So generally speaking, pulling water off and, and drying it out. Um, so if you see the major producers um, like your, your Jim Beams, your, your Buffalo Traces, your Heaven Hills, all of the brown foreman, all of these large scale producers, they typically have dry houses where they take the grains and they dry it down to something that just sort of like is almost like a um, I don't know, it's it's just completely dry, essentially. Um, and that product you can ship across the world and they don't have to worry about it. Um, but that takes a lot of infrastructure. It takes a lot of money. Um, it takes a lot of energy. The, the energy is consumed by dry houses is, is significant. And and everybody's looking for ways of of reducing that energy consumption and really making these more practical solutions in the in the long run, because um, everybody's getting really um, much more aware of of really the social and environmental sort of um, cooperation and compact that we have with our community and, and being aware of, you know, what what emissions are coming off and, and things like that and what what the, the distillers can do to really try to reduce their overall carbon footprint and reduce overall environmental impact. And they've and. And most of the major distillers now have a very intentional um, approach now to how they're going to innovate and change in their industry to try to reduce that energy consumption, try to re um, basically reach things like uh, carbon net zero. Um, that's that's something really, really high on their their radar right now. Um, Beam Centauri just made a big announcement. I think it was a week or two ago, but their proof positive campaign. And one major aspect of that is really. Um, improving the quality of waterways, improving um, uh, their their role of, of carbon, um, and I think it's a I, I think it's a a great step forward, and I think that's really just sort of fits into the whole the whole thing. But um, but yeah, back to back to dry houses. Um, <laughs> but those yeah, if you can if you can dry those things down and get them dry, you can ship them all over the world. But yeah, if you're dealing with these grains um, and you want to and, and you don't want to invest the major amount of capital and also operating costs to to dry these things down. Um, you're really looking at wet uses. And I think particularly the craft distillers, which are a major aspect of what's going on in, in the state, really trying to understand how we can handle um, spent grains that are coming off of small distilleries in a, in a responsible way. Um, and that's typically going to be wet because the the resources available for a massive dry house just aren't feasible for for the craft distilleries. Um, and I think there's a lot of opportunity. I mean, these are these are food grade um, grains, so you could easily turn them into a um, uh, a product where for for human consumption, um, where we can go the other direction and talk about other animals that can eat these. Um, there's a, a new product or projects coming out of um, a company in Maysville, Kentucky, that's really focusing on um, feeding spent grains to insect larvae. Um, and if you what? if you can imagine <laughs> if you can imagine flies basically just sort of growing and living in anything you might leave on your counter for for a week or two, it's basically the same idea. You've got these these insects the larvae that just more or less will just eat whatever they're on top of. You don't have to dry it out. And then you've got these wow. insects, which later become feedstock for different 
different um, uh, agriculture, different. I, I can't even remember what they go into, but um, I don't know. It's it's an exciting space. And that's that's something right. we um, that came out of a conversation um, maybe a year ago. And um, really, since then, we've had them out to, to talk to the, the the distillery community through our, our annual conference and, and really just sort of get it out there. And it's fun to get that information out there and, and basically get all these big distillers to sort of pick the idea apart, see what's good, what's bad, and then, and then decide how to move forward. And I think that's really sort of central to our mission in terms of trying to support innovation in have that you ever industry. Seen, have you ever seen the movie Biggest Little Farm? No. It's no. on... Hulu would recommend just going to hang out to dry on that one. Yeah, just going to know it's a it's a documentary made by this couple. They're from, I think, California in the city. They move to the country. They buy this big plot of land that's completely arid and there's nothing on it. And they use uh, they bring in an expert on sustainable like ecosystem farming. And spoiler, they build this just gorgeous you know, hundreds of acres farm, but the the film itself focuses a lot on different pieces of the circle of life, if you will, that you mm-hmm. wouldn't have thought could all work together. So it's reminding me, there's one part of it where they're having a really bad, um, I think it's a snail problem yeah. and they're eating everything. They also had this duck issue where they can't figure out how to feed the ducks. I am probably explaining it incorrectly, but there's this moment where they, it clicks for them and they release the ducks into the area where there's all these snails and they eat them all and solve the problem essentially. Okay. Yeah. And not all of them. They're still, because snails are important. You need to have them there. And it reminds me of this. There's so many ways where we can fit into, not to get too Lion King on us, but circle of life. If, yeah. if we can creatively get there. Yeah, no, I mean, there's there's good examples of that in the distillery industry where there's a lot of work and innovation in, in that space. So there's there's one aspect. Um, so being the University of Kentucky, we have a really strong college of agriculture and um, they do a lot of outreach extension work and they work with farmers in terms of modern practices, how we can reduce. Um, and one aspect is reducing utilization of, of fertilizers or really trying to dial that in. And one aspect you can do to try to keep the nutrients in the soil is actually to look at um, planting crops in between seasons. So if you're looking at growing corn, maybe doing some sort of cover crop to keep something in that field, keep that root system active, keep that 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 system all integral to keep all those nutrients in the soil from running off into the waterways. And what's interesting about that whole process is it's really interesting to the distilleries because you you kind of overlook the fact that really good quality, clean water is is one reason the bourbon industry in Kentucky was amazing to begin with. And then also when you look at uh, anything that's less than 100 proof, the water Actually, you have more water in your your product than you do alcohol. So if you don't have good, clean water to go into that product, um, you're really struggling to to create a good bourbon product. So the distilleries are putting a lot of effort to make sure the waterways in Kentucky are are sustainably grown. And they're working with their providers to look at ways of trying to keep the agriculture in a sort of done in this sort of modern way that we can actually sort of both support the the productivity of those farms and also support the cleanliness of the waterways and all of that feeds into every aspect of their of their business and and that really highlights why the distilleries are so interested in being really strong community partners um, and trying to drive innovation in a way that really not only supports them but also supports our natural environment it's it's been really eye-opening to see the passion on that side right um, it reminds me we 
recently interviewed a group called Canopy Kentucky out of Louisville, and their tagline is making Kentucky first in good business. But they are, (laughs) shout out, go listen to that episode if you haven't yet. But the, the short version is they are making such a strong case for why doing good business sustainably, ethically, et cetera, is also good for your business. And I think this is a great example where it can feel kind of mushy to talk about waterways and clean water, but it's actually a really innovative, strong decision to care about those things as these distillers. And I think that's when we have those full circle moments where it's not just to help you sleep better at night. It's because it matters for your bottom line. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And and I think also one unique thing about the distillery industry is we were talking earlier about like you take a product and we're we're drinking products that maybe our parents might have been their generation might have produced if you're looking at 20, 25 wow, year old I products. I never thought about that. That's like, wild. Yeah. But if you if you think about that, that also means that these distillers are making an investment in their company 20 years down the line, which is kind of insane in the modern business world um, in terms of how most businesses look quarter to quarter to move things along. But the distillery industry fundamentally, when you're dealing with aged products, has to be taking that 10 year outlook. And when you take that 10 year outlook, partnership with the community, partnership with your resources around you really matters. Um, And uh, it's been sort of um, it's interesting to see how that that changed timeline impacts the the global view of of everything so i've been i don't know it's been it's been a lot of interesting um yeah it's been a lot to to sort of take in as i've sort of transitioned into looking more at these bourbon research questions so i think that's i i could talk about this actually all day i do want to maybe power through a couple other trends that it sounds like you want to talk about so that's maybe a good segue into this accelerating aging topic or maturation which i think Mm -hmm. it sounds like is another Trend problem, something that is happening. So tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so it's been um, popular for a a fair bit, but there's there's a lot of innovation focus going on trying to figure out how you can get a really good quality product in a shorter amount of time. The the age, the aging is something you can't get around. But the, the, the term people are usually shooting for is really trying to get a matured spirit, something that tastes like it's got that that long age um, and, and really try to get that out in a short amount of time. So um, there's been a number of um, innovative spa- uh, approaches to that. And I think there's it's sort of almost some people approach it like a hobby and then there's startup groups that really take that to the next level if they think they've got something that's gonna gonna really make an impact and if you think about it like particularly in kentucky you've got distillers with millions of barrels sitting in a in a warehouse and they can't really cash in on those until they're ready to drink um, until they've really met that quality mark so there's all sorts of motivation um to avoid basically paying taxes on those those barrels that are just sort of sitting around for one one more year so um there's there's plenty of different approaches and it's been sort of fun to see which ones are are implemented, which ones aren't. But um, there's there's people basically looking at anything you could do to drive that maturation faster. Um, so one thing that's re- relatively well known is that the the seasons really drive the the liquid in and out of the of the barrel wood. Um, and looking at how you could change temperature, pressure, things like that to really alter how the the liquids interacting with that that barrel wood is um, one aspect people have been doing to 
try to drive maturation faster. There's some people who will cycle the, the temperature of their barrel warehouses up and down more regularly than you would ordinarily get with, say, um, just seasonal changes. And that's something that they're trying to do to try to drive it um, faster. There's people who look at basically um, sound. I mean, yeah, I think I, I don't know how well it works, but I think Metallica is famous for basically playing there and rocking out their music and as their their whiskey ages. And then there's, there's people with ultrasound type systems to try to to basically shake it. Um, and I think I think some of these are are moving in a good direction. But I think the, the complexity of what's happening in the barrel um, sometimes gets overlooked by by some of these approaches because um, you you have you have flavors being extracted out of there, but you also have very complex chemical reactions happening in there. You've got oxygen coming into the barrel and reacting with the whiskey in a very unique way, in a controlled way. And I think I think a lot of the um, accelerated maturation ideas sort of overlook some of that. But what's what's interesting, I think, is um, the the science associated with actual maturation is something that we're still actively trying to push forward. So it's again why we we um, worked with Independence Dave and the Boswell family to get this maturation space. Um, there's the the institute director Seth DeBolt is doing a lot of work in wood chemistry and trying to understand how wood chemistry changes and how that wood is interacting with the the spirit as it as it ages. Um, and we've got several projects really focusing in um, with different distillers on on how the actual liquid is changing over time and why. Um, because to some extent, there's there's a lot of anecdotal good stories out there, um, but the actual science behind that really isn't out in the public literature right now. And that's something that we want to change. We want, we want craft distillers to be able to come into the space and really understand what's happening there um, and, and allow them to do innovation that may maybe lead to some of this accelerated maturation. I think what's so interesting to me is that there are guardrails on what can be done with bourbon, mm -hmm. and yet there's so much innovation that can happen with, like you're saying, the chemical reactions, the types of grains that are going in, Absolutely, the yeah. when, the how, and the why, and yet it's not even taking into account. So many other, you know, whiskeys and spirits can throw cinnamon in a barrel and and yeah, move yeah. right along and call that innovation. Which, to be clear, we all have had great experiences with Fireball, I'm sure, <laughs> but. Um, I think it it's just a really we often talk about how if you have a completely open box or if you if you give someone an ocean and say, go innovate in this ocean, it can be a little overwhelming. But if you put them in a pool, it can be helpful. What you don't want to do is put lanes in the pool because then people only swim in one direction or another. And you want them yeah. to be able to do somersaults or spin around. And I feel like the bourbon industry is sort of a pool of saying they're there's it's not the ocean, but there also aren't lanes. So go yeah. go have some fun and figure out what's coming next. Yeah, no, th there's been a lot of great opportunities for innovation and flavor, even within these confines. And I think one of the interesting areas that's really sort of erupted lately is is really trying to understand what you're doing to the barrel in different ways as you go along. So you've got the the bourbon rule of a fresh um, charred oak container. Um, so that that is basically what a lot of people focus in on. But how you char, how you prep that wood is there. There's a lot of subtlety there. Um, so there's not only charring, but there's also processes known as toasting where you can basically bring in. I mean, same same as you would toast bread rather than burning bread on on um, basically those impart different flavors. And you can imagine how those would impact different flavors in in whiskey, a lot of that. And then also, as you look at 
changing different aspects in terms of secondary maturation. Um, I think Makers, as far as I know, I think Makers 46 was was one of the early um, innovators in this space. And they really just looked at toasted French oak staves and, and what kind of things they could do after they've done sort of more of their traditional maturation, um, how they can come in and alter the flavor profile of, of a relatively sweet and balanced spirit and then bring in these these toasted oak flavors from different woods. And now it's kind of going crazy. I mean, there's there's barrel finishing, um, which takes it a little out of the, the bourbon space, but um, certainly Angel's Envy has gone uh, um, pretty heavily in that space. You've got um, Adam Michter's toasted barrel um uh, product the other day that was that was incredible. It's just really bringing out these different flavors, and it's really just looking at the different heat treatments. and And the cooperages are well aware of how much this impacts the flavors. And cooperages like Independent Stave are, are really working well with their industry partners to try to collaboratively develop these flavor profiles that each each company is interested. In. So. Um, Makers has actually, yeah, gone gone a little. I, I wouldn't say crazy, but but really elaborated and really explored that space. They've got these these barrel releases that have all these interesting flavors that have, um, or these different stave profiles that you can select. And if you go and look at like barrel picks over at Liquor Barn, you can see like, oh, here's all the different staves that are used in this particular product. And you can then taste that product and try to get a rough idea of, hey, this type of stave actually drives this kind of flavor. Um, so. Um, and and again, that's all within just trying to understand just barrel toasting. You start to get into grains and how different types of grains. I mean, when you look at at the standard bourbon, people talk about whether it's wheat or rye, and then you've got some amounts of corn and and malted barley. But like just calling those general categories of grain, um, there's a lot of subtlety there. I mean, so you're familiar with bluegrass distillers. I mean, they really dove into that blue corn space and really showed that you can get a really interesting flavor profile by just changing from that number two yellow dent corn over to that, that blue corn. Um, and there's similar innovation happening all across. So like what, what different varieties of rye, what different varieties of wheat that you can bring in and impart different flavors. And that's something that's been kind of interesting coming out of this collaboration at the University of Kentucky, where we've got engineers really working with agricultural people and the, the agriculture people can basically produce all of these interesting varieties of rye and, and wheat that grow well in Kentucky. And now we're looking as, as our facilities up and running, we're looking at basically producing distillate, see how the distillate tastes, and then also see how those mature over time. So there's a lot of opportunity there to really get unique flavors. And that's that's kind of um, one of the major things that's driving the innovation in the industry forward. I do have to take a brief pause to give my obligatory family shout out <laughs> and get all cards on the table. Um, shout out to my brother, Nathan Brown and Sam Rock, who are the reason why I was able to meet you, Brad. As you all know, uh, they own Bluegrass Distillers. Everyone should go check it out. It's currently uh, attached to West Six, but they just bought an exciting new property in Midway. So that's the only shameless plug of a bourbon distiller I'll get. But I've <laughs> I've been gifted many bottles over the years. I'm particularly blessed by their weeded bourbon. I'm not a big rye girl, but would highly recommend their Blue Corner weeded. So um, now that my family obligations are out of the way. So as we're kind of getting to the finish line here, there were, I'll kind of, I would love for you to give people examples of how they can maybe get involved with the James B. Beam Institute. Obviously, hopefully everyone will be able to visit once it is yeah. officially the, the new building is up and running. Um, I did want to give three quick plugs on our end, not plugs, plugs but just, uh, comments. One, um, a brief aside, Proof Positive is such a great branding name as a marketing person. <laughs> I just need to, who was, is that 
that's the beam uh, centuri okay, yeah, they, yeah and that's a global effort they've they've really gone all in centuri yeah the that company has been really strong in the environmental and, and social responsibility side for a long time yeah. but yeah that's beam centuri well, sure shout out yeah. second um I, you gave us a great segue into this, but we are going to be building um, an ability for people to get involved. If you're listening to this podcast and want to understand how you can maybe get involved or you have ideas or you are working on ideas, um, we're working closely with the state and a bunch of partners like Brad and the KDA to come up with a reverse pitch opportunity. So there will be more information and press releases coming out about that. Um, but work on those ideas, sit on them. I think it's going to be a really exciting way for the entirety of the state to get involved. Um and then third, as an oat milk drinker, I just need you to apologize to the distillers on my behalf. Uh, I am the problem in the dairy industry, um, but I can't say that my body can change. So um, now as we as we kind of round the corner, how what are ways that people can get involved um, with the Institute or with students um, or how are ways that students can get involved if they're listening and haven't heard about it on campus? Yeah, so I think it, um, so. Our certificate program is one of the easiest ways to sort of get in and learn more about the industry and also sort of get educated and trained and, and gain, I guess, that next level of understanding of what's going on in the bourbon um, space. So we've got a certificate program that you can look up if you just go to our Beam Institute website at the University of Kentucky. Um, you can look up information on the certificate program. Um, and generally, that's that's a, a sequence of four classes where you've got two required classes and then two electives. And that allows you to sort of really just get the, the entire breadth of, of what's going on and in the basic training um, going into um, the the bourbon industry and that that really again spans all disciplines so um, we have people who are just sort of non-traditional sort of uk students they just sort of like i don't know um, we've got retired people who just wanted to learn more about bourbon coming in taking our courses on on bourbon engineering um, which which adds an interesting dynamic to the the classroom setting we've got classroom discussions where we've got students who are 19 years old and we've also got people who are in their 70s and they're both talking about the same technology and and they've coming from different different viewpoints and and it really engages and deepens everybody's everybody's knowledge so we've got ways of taking all of the classes that we have for the certificate um we've got a way to get through that certificate online so if if you're in whatever the united kingdom or if you're the so the other uk um you're, you can still <laughs> you can still take all of these uh um certificate classes and if this that's podcast has made to it to the uk please reach out to us uh, <laughs> i really i would love to know that from a marketing perspective <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. So there's I, I think the education space is the easiest. And then if you're in the distillery industry and you're interested in um, some aspect of innovation or research and there's some way that the University of Kentucky can help you out. Um, um, my information's on the, the Beam Institute website. I'm pretty easy to find. Um, so, yeah, that's uh, that's that's how that that can go. So um, we're just yeah really excited to be involved in the space and really seeking to do anything that we can to elevate the bourbon industry. So. For listeners to know, we didn't. We made it through maybe three quarters of our notes, so I think that means we'll have to have Brad on again at some point. Um, this has been incredible. I love talking about bourbon. You love talking about bourbon. Hopefully, everyone loves listening uh, to us talk about bourbon. Um, and as I mentioned, guys, you can find us at innovationincubated.com to find links to our podcast and um, hear some more podcasts that we've done with people in the innovation space. So, Brad, thank you so much for coming to talk to us. Um, we're excited to keep working with you. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. If you know someone who should be on our show, even if it's you, reach out to us at innovationincubated.com. And while you're on our website, sign up for our newsletter. 
Lastly, thanks to our sponsor, Apex Software. The right software partner can change everything. So reach out today at apexsoftware.com. Until next time, go team. So we're going to go ahead and transition to our first guest of the new Innovation Incubated podcast, which is Brad Barron. He is a new colleague slash new friend of ours. He's the research director and professor of chemical engineering at the James B. Beam Institute. And we got connected through Brad. Uh, shout out to Bluegrass Distillers. Um Sam Rock and Nathan Brown, who, yes, is my brother, connected us with him. We are working on a really exciting new project at Innovation Incubated with the Cabinet for Energy and Environment and the Cabinet for Economic Development, uh, which is yeah, a little bit of a sneak peek. We'll be telling you more about that project later. But we are working on a really new, exciting project in the bourbon industry around innovation, and we needed some uh, insider knowledge. And so we got connected to Brad. He's become an incredible asset for us and just a friend of Intralabs. And Brad, I'm going to let you take it from here. All right, so let's transition to our exciting guest that we have here today. His name is Brad Barron. So Brad is the research director and professor of chemical engineering at the James B. Beam Institute. Try to say that five times fast. We got connected to Brad through uh, Bluegrass Distillers, which is owned by Sam Rock and Nathan Brown, who, yes, is my brother. And we are working on an exciting new project with the Cabinet for Energy Environment, the Cabinet for Economic Development in the bourbon industry uh, regarding innovation. Um, 
we'll tell you more about this project later, a little bit of a sneak peek. But uh, in that project, we needed some some expertise. We needed some feedback and advice. And we got connected through Brad, who's become just a real supporter and asset for us as we um, learn more about innovation in the bourbon industry. And so we thought we need to get him on the podcast. So Brad, excited to have you here today. Thanks for giving us some of your time. I'm going to let you introduce a little bit of yourself and the Institute, and then we'll go from there. It's a bit better. <laughs> 